0: Bye. Welcome to a rather impromptu episode of uh, Tough Topics in LD, as ever, we're joined by Sean Williams.
1: Hello, everyone. I've been dragged out of a uh, introduction to dialectic uh, behavior therapy, but uh, yeah, for an important reason. We're outraged. I Sorry. think that's the word. I think we're outraged, <laughs> aren't think... we? I think that's the word. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, yet again, angry, yet again. not um, happy. No. No, and I think, you know, what's, what's sort of sparked us, and I apologise, Sean, if later in your career you really missed this introductory lecture, um, then blame it on me, I um, actually blame it on people who are, you know, applying DNA CPRs uh, illegally, but that's essentially what I want to talk about today. There was a report out from the Care Quality Commission um, that identified 508 instances during the pandemic where DNA CPRs have been applied without any sort of consultation um, and unlawfully. And, uh, yeah, we just wanted to unpick that a little bit more today, um, give our thoughts and views, um, and, and we'll get into it a little bit. So
1: so to begin with, uh, Alistair, what, what is it, for people that don't know, what is a DNA CPR? So DNA CPR stands
0: for Do Not Attempt Cardiopulmonary Resuscitation. Um, now, you can see a lot of people, particularly in the first wave of the pandemic, um, were probably conflating this with um stopping life-saving treatments ventilators and so on and so forth a dna cpr is in the instance if that hurt person's heart stops functioning stops pumping they're going to cardiac arrest that the order will state that this person should not have cpr based on the basis of medical futility or advance directive and wishes of the individual um, or best interest decision, you know, based on the previous information. So it, 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 is, it is sorely that, you know, and I think, again, we can, a lot of people got up in arms about the fact that, you know, well, it's about valuing life. and It is, it is about valuing life, but, you know, having a DNA CPR doesn't mean that people won't try to keep you well. And if you get severely ill, won't give you life-sustaining treatment. It just means that in the event that your heart, heart stops beating, CPR will not be attempted upon you.
1: I think that leads uh, some of that um, confusion, well, and you know, in some, in a lot of the instances, right, Flang was around how those decisions were put in place, which was in a blanket fashion without any sort of consultation, and with a lot of people and families not knowing that that had happened right at the start of or at the beginning of the pandemic. Completely,
0: and I and I think that you know, just for reference, if you know, if you are going to put a DNA CPR in place. You need to have consulted with the individual, at the very least, you know, and obviously gone down, you know, if that person has capacity to make any sort of decisions or advance directives, and also consulted with, you know, significant others of that individual within their, you know, usually cited as family members, um, and and it appears that you know it's just been applied to people living in a number of situations, and actually there are still cases of people. There was a case of a lady the other day who found. Um, she passed away, and found that there was one on that person's file. And I'm really sorry, I can't remember her name. That's shocking because I was reading about it this morning. Um, and um, <laughs> I sort of lost my train of thought now. Oh, and they only found out after death that there was a DNA CPR on file. Um, you know, they, you know, to, 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 again, to give you some facts, you know, the 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 likelihood and success rates of CPR are low. You know, it's it's down in sort of single digit percentages, um, or you know, less than one in ten people who have CPR manual CPR um, actually, you know, um, it restarts heart, cut their pulmonary function, um, and there's a lot of side effects that happen from that. You know, from oxygen starvation of the brain obviously tissue issues um, not least of all the fact that the force has to be applied usually results in some form of um, rib fractures and there's complicating factors around that pneumothorax and issues with diaphragms and you know there's a there's a litany of other issues going on um and so yeah you can see why these things need to be complex decisions and need to be based on usually it should the ground say that it should be based on on, on medical back Medical reasons. Our issue is that when they're applied in a blanket sense, people just look at learning disability and go, oh, you know, oh, we'll, we'll apply one to them.
1: There's no, yeah, it, it, there's no uh, personal preference or clinical thought comes into it. It's simply, you know, somebody has a diagnosis of X, they've been identified as X, and therefore this is going to happen, um, which is wrong because, uh, as you've highlighted, you know, it's supposed to be a um, you know, it's an individual's choice. There's supposed to be consent involved, you know, and um, just wasn't happening. Now, it, it, it's interesting looking at uh, the the write up uh, from CQC and the fact that I'm sure you've noticed as well, Alistair. Alistair, there's a there's a, a lot of mention of older adults, and we're talking about people with learning disabilities now. Uh, in a in a way, um, for people who uh, with learning disabilities family members and also professionals. We know that inappropriate uh, DNA CPRs are a feature of the landscape unfortunately and they, they've always been there it's not not something new um, sadly uh, and totally inappropriate and how that it's it's sort of high, been highlighted as an issue because of uh, other groups, who have also had this this imposition put on them whether it be older adults whether it be other people with disabilities um so I think we were saying before just as we come on you know it, there's sort of a you can see even within marginalized groups sometimes there's a hierarchy with other people othered even further out there and uh, yeah. that's something that I've been thinking about this morning and how you know um yeah it's already always affected some people and um yeah, what? Why now? Why are we only discussing it now? Really? Yeah, so I,
0: I saw some uh, some tweets from people this morning saying, you know, we looked at this ten years ago, and somebody else saying I've been fighting against unlawful DNA CPR since 1992. Um, so it's it you know it's it's a similar sort of case to um, the, the Joe Wiley situation in so much as it needs somebody else um, to. Or some other group being influential, influential to be able to gain traction on a certain case, and in this situation, it's been you know the blanket is you know people in care homes. And which proportion of people will have a learning disability? But you know the vast majority of people with learning disabilities don't live in care homes, mm-hmm. and so actually there's no sort of investigation as to those people living in their own homes whether they've had you know the blanket ones applied. And actually, I think you know. You and I, sure, know that quite often that the facts and figures around learning disabilities come
1: out are more of the tip of the iceberg. It is. Uh, I mean, and there's the thing, you know, if if you you were unaware that it was that it was placed, then and haven't asked or haven't been informed, then you're still unaware that it's still exactly, in place. Exactly. Um,
0: yeah. I really struggle. I really struggle. So for those of you who, who are not, you know, maybe new to us or new to learning disabilities, and you know, just picked up uh, this this podcast. Um, A learning disability is not a medical healthcare diagnosis, okay? Having a learning disability doesn't somehow impact on your ability to recover from injury or illness, okay? A a learning disability is IQ-linked and is usually a result of some condition which results in cognitive impairment, but it does not innately decrease your ability to recover from injury or illness. Yes, a lot of um, conditions that may predispose somebody to cognitive impairment may also have a number of comorbidities, but a learning disability in of itself is not a medical healthcare condition. So that, that is why we take real umbrage at um, learning disabilities being cited as reason for death, as it has been pro, um, shown
1: on leading reports in the past, and reasons for DNA CPRs. And it's important to note as well that, you know, a learning disability isn't a life-limiting condition as well. I mean... Yeah. You know, people with learning disabilities have ordinary lives. Um, so, you know, taking away from sort of uh, that sort of uh, medical calculus, you know, uh, you know, so there is that um, fact that you know, uh, people do have a a value judgment placed upon their life, their life opportunities, chances, and and in quality life and all that.
0: Yeah, certainly. And I've talked about this quite a few times on various platforms about, you know, practitioners playing God, for want of a better phrase, in, in terms of people's lives. And when we're looking at value based values-based healthcare, which I, I've said before, I don't think the two are, uh, you know, value-based healthcare talks about giving good value for money. But when you talk about a finite resource, then you inevitably put people's, you leave it to people's values to be able to, to you know, have the, the justification to put it wherever it is. My concern is that you know if this has been something that's been going on for years now i've been qualified 11 years now and i know it's been going on throughout my practice and you know clearly been going on since when i was a little kid why are we not looking to change how we approach this with practitioners you know i see a lot of people again it's the same usual voices that i see and again we're looking on social media I, You know i don't know what's happening at policy and government level um yeah that's debatable anyway but why aren't we as practitioners reaching out to other groups, groups maybe who are responsible for making these decisions and trying to educate them around something that is clearly not well understood, trying to instill values, trying to show the people behind diagnosis. And I think that is something that a lot of non limb disability practitioners, I don't necessarily like to group as that, but, um, struggle they struggle to see the individual they struggle to see the person behind the wheelchair the diagnosis the disability um and that leads to you know people just not engaging and not
1: valuing um how they approach and u- things and equally ult- ultimately making decisions like this um <laughs> exactly exactly you know, it's it, it sort of yeah it's the it's the logical conclusion of people being of it
0: and, and if we, if we want to change that if we, you know, we, we could, people can say, oh yeah, I know we need to change, it's bad, but we need to do something, we need to get out there, you know, we're, we're out there, you know, you and I, our, our job of uh, part of this role is that we are looking to educate and influence and improve understanding, mm-hmm. you know, I'm out there lecturing at universities, taking on university students, Sean, I'm sure when you get into clinical practice, you'll be taking on university, you know, um, undergraduate students as well, you know, we need to be more bold and out there with with our messaging and it's just it's just not happening
1: um, as you can say looking at social media and people saying that you know they've been discussing this issue since you know the early 1990s you know we, uh, practitioners such as yourself and, and students like myself you know in this arena have been talking about it have always been talking about it and yet it doesn't seem to be getting across as you say there's got to be um whether we've got to be louder whether you know we've got to be a little bit more forceful in in you know in in what we say uh more or more clear whatever that is but clearly the message is not being is uh, you know isn't getting across hasn't got across and this is where we are
0: i'm not seeing a cohesive message i think that's the thing you know you know you know we talked about we had Sam on it about the, the learning disability role and poem and about you know what what makes a proper job um, you know there's not there's not there doesn't appear to be from the outside or half on the inside that cohesive movement and energy towards public messaging around issues such as this and that yeah. me if I'm wrong
1: No no no, I totally agree um there, there yeah there doesn't seem to be that sort of. It might be political with a small p, but that, that sort of social justice, activism, it, obviously it's discussed, but it's those messages aren't getting out there or and, and aren't being noticed.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, the, how many times I say this about the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. We have to change. We have to make our voices heard as professionals and practitioners. You know, we've said before that we need to lend our voice and add our voice to self-advocates, to families, To allies of people with learning disabilities and and add that professional voice. We have a foot in the door with our fellow healthcare professionals. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Okay. And it's, I think families are often too easily dismissed. But I think, you know, if we can come to our fellow healthcare professionals and say, look, guys, we need to talk about X, Y, and Z, or, you know, as professional bodies and groups, let's do it. Um, I should carry out this. I mean, I could rant on all day about this because it's really, really get my goat. Um, But we should say as well, Um, That there are, when a DNA CPR is done to the letter of the law, and it's an advanced directive with the involvement of the individual and capacity assessments and families, it can lead to people having the dignified end of their life that they wanted to do. Um, And it can stop unnecessary stress, trauma, um, and sometimes harm coming to the individual. So, you know, there are a good number of DNA CPRs out there that are applied in the correct manner. And are effective in helping people to have the end of their life that they wish to have. However, when they are applied in a blanket format, it's clear that that's not happening.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's it's. um, Well, it's not dignified, is it? It's not dignified. It's it's an abuse of people's human rights. It's 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 yeah, and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I'm just yeah, we're both yeah angry about this, I suppose. yeah, for want are. of a better word
0: and this is probably our most unplanned unscripted unpolished because i've whipped sean out of a which, session
1: which is no which is noticeable probably to our listeners <laughs> um, well,
0: uh, yeah, I'm, I, and i make no apologies for that because sometimes seeing you know that we actually do care and this isn't just for show and it's not just for getting watches and views and whatever we're not clickbait here we give a crap about people with learning disabilities and we are fed up as practitioners i am personally i don't speak for you sean but i am sick to the back teeth of people and professionals what i perceive to be on a public messaging point of view sitting on our hands or sitting on our bums and just going oh it's terrible wagging a finger and yeah, not
1: taking a taking a back seat when you know we should be driving the bus along alongside people exactly exactly
0: um i should mention as all well, we did um put a call out it was early this morning we put a call out when i first read this article you know, we did have some interest um from people wanting to be involved um unfortunately due to both my work schedules your work schedules um we had some interest from kate tockley who was looking at whether they get some self-advocates involved um and so thank you very much, Kate, and apologies that we couldn't make the timings work. But I think we needed to get this out here when it's still raw in our systems.
1: Yeah, and just to make clear, we are trying to reach out to people. It's not just me and being Alistair. Um, we, you know, we really are trying to connect with people and that's how it should be. It should be a community of practice and collaboration.
0: Certainly, wanting to move things forward. Well, Sean, thank you very much for giving up your time. Um, and thank you for all the guys who've been in touch on social media and people who are starting to you know get some good feedback from our uh, podcast launch available on spotify and on anchor fm hopefully that will be distributed to more platforms soon um and sean i will see you next time
1: super yeah and please folks engage please engage with us um <laughs> yeah and apologies for this sort of impromptu nature of today but you know as anister said we need to get the message out and we do that we do it's these on our minds and um you know something needs to be done thank you sean see you all again soon bye bye take care everyone bye bye <laughs>